This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Three Lions Podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and this is an independent England football supporters podcast. Thank you once again for tuning in. Always appreciated. And I hope you enjoyed the recent episodes of late. There was the one where I spoke with England fan and Qatari resident Ben Williams who told us what Qatar is like. Uh, of course, ahead of the World Cup later in the year. That was really received well. Uh, there was also the episode where I spoke with PC Stephen Mason, all about policing away with England. A little different, that one, but a real insight. Um, so, yeah, thanks to him and thanks to Ben Williams, too. Uh, if you have missed any of those they can still be found at your podcast provider of choice or threelionspodcast.com. Now, coming up, our national team, they have four games in the space of 10 days. Uh, let's just quickly run through those. We've got Hungary away in Budapest, Saturday the 4th of June. That one, behind closed doors. We've got Germany away in Munich on Tuesday the 7th of June. Very much looking forward to that. Italy at home is going to be played at Wolves Molyneux Stadium Saturday the 11th of June. Unfortunately, that one is like that hungry one behind closed doors. But the game we can go to is Hungary at home again at Molyneux, the Wolves. Tuesday the 14th of June. If you're unable to go to any of those games, they'll all be on Terrestrial TV. Channel 4 is the place to go. With this being the preview episode, I'm hoping that once all the fixtures are played, I can round it all up with a review episode. And as with all the preview episodes, I'll try and speak with people who know more than I do. Plus, got a little guide to Wolverhampton for you. But before we get on to those, let's take a look at the squad Gareth Southgate announced. He announced it Tuesday the 24th of May. It is a 27-man squad. Ideal, really, considering the amount of games to be played. One would imagine that there's going to be quite some rotation throughout. But even with 27 players, he still can't please everyone. Uh, many regulars, or certs maybe in some eyes, haven't made it. But we'll come to those in a moment. But I think on the whole, it's generally a squad that the majority are pleased with. If you go with the, the reaction on social media... Uh, and that doesn't really happen often. But that squad is as follows. We've got three goalkeepers. These are the, probably the three obvious ones. Jordan Pickford, Nick Pope and Aaron Ramsdale. Eleven defenders. Trent Alexander-Arnold, Connor Cody, 
Mark Gui, Rhys James, James Justin of Leicester City, we'll come to him, Harry Maguire, John Stones, Fikayo Tamori, uh, who of course has just won Serie A with AC Milan. Kieran Trippier is back after he's recovered from his leg injury. Carl Walker and Arsenal's Ben White. In midfield, we've got Jude Bellingham, Connor Gallagher, Mason Mount, Calvin Phillips, Declan Rice, and free kick master James Ward-Prowse. And up front, seven strikers. Tammy Abraham, Jared Bowen is in. West Ham's Jared Bowen. Uh, Phil Foden, Jack Grealish, Harry Kane, Bakayo Saka, and Raheem Sterling. I know you like the, the stats on it all, so let's run through where those players come from. There are five from Manchester City, three from Arsenal, two from Chelsea, two from West Ham, two from Crystal Palace, one from Everton, Burnley, Liverpool, Wolves, Leicester, Manchester United, Newcastle United, Leeds United, one from Southampton, one from Tottenham, and one each from the three overseas clubs, Dortmund, AC Milan, and Roma. Uh, So the oldest player amongst those is Kyle Walker, uh, who turned 32 on the 28th of May. Uh, Same birthday, in fact, as Phil Foden. Same birthday as my mother. Happy birthday, Mum. Uh, Youngest, Jude Bellingham, who is 18, most capped player is Raheem Sterling on 74 caps. And of course, the most goals in amongst that is Harry Kane, currently on 49 goals. Will he beat Wayne Rooney's 53 goals during this international window? Hmm, not sure. We'll see. He's certainly begun to given the opportunity, no doubt, of course, national captain. Uh, Across the squad, though, it is one with an average age of 25.1. It is a squad that has 593 caps and 96 goals. So there are two new names in Gareth's thinking. Jared Bowen of West Ham. He finally gets the call, deservedly so. Uh, Unfortunately, he missed out the last squad, didn't he? Missed out through injury last time around. But I think he he is the one player that most of us can agree deserves a cap. Uh, He's worked his way up from Hereford to Hull to the Premier League to the Europa League, hasn't he, with West Ham? Now to the England squad where he'll most likely get his first cap. Um, So well done to him. Fully deserved. James Justin, uh, perhaps the surprise one, well, was for me. I'll hold my hands up and say, uh, perhaps I hadn't taken enough notice of Leicester of late. Uh, Justin, he's a versatile defender. He can play left or right back. He's 24 years old. He's got eight under 21 caps under his belt. So he's always been on Gareth's radar, but he did suffer serious injury back in February of last year, sustained an anterior cruciate injury. So he's done really well to get back to form, get back into Leicester's team, help them on their way to, what was it, the semi-finals of the Europa League. And now, to top it all off, he's made it into 
into Gareth's senior squad and with four games to be played over this period and he's highly likely to get a, uh, a first cap under his belt because, I mean, if he's able to play left back, that does appear to be the place where we are a bit shy of the left back department. Tarek Mitchell of Crystal Palace, he wasn't selected and you'd think that maybe that would have been his position. Uh, obviously, with uh, Luke Shaw and Ben Chilwell both injured. So, yeah, I mean, that probably was where he will slot in on that left-hand side. Now, strangely, in his press conference, Gareth announced that despite picking uh, Crystal Palace's Mark Gwee, he may not play a part in any of the four games as he's currently injured with an ankle problem. Uh, he didn't play a part in Crystal Palace's last game of the season, that 1-0 win over Manchester United. So whether we have to do a little edit on this, we'll find out. He may drop out of the squad and someone else may come in. Who knows? We'll wait and see. But along with Tarek Mitchell, others that were left out include the likes of Jordan Henderson, Tyro Mings, Eric Dyer, Kyle Walker-Peters, Joe Gomez... Emil Smith-Rowe, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Jaden Sancho, Marcus Rashford, Ollie Watkins, James Madison, uh, all for one reason or another haven't been picked. But I guess the other one is Brentford's Ivan Tony. But from what I can gather, he still hasn't committed to who he wants to play for. Uh, apparently he's eligible for Jamaica just as much as he is for England. Um, but as far as I'm aware, he hasn't made that decision. So this is uh, four games where it appears he's not going to get a, uh, an opportunity to represent England. But it was an interesting and varied press conference Gareth gave after announcing the squad. Uh, obviously, he was asked about those players who were in and those that were out. Uh, but he also gave his thoughts on the recent pitch invasions that have occurred in English football, be it playoff matches, be it Manchester City's title win. Uh, and he was quoted as saying, it is a reflection of where we are in the country at the moment. Uh, he was also asked about Blackpool's Jake Daniels and also spoke about fans going to Germany and the responsibilities we have and just one on sort of conversation about fan behavior in general obviously the hungary game is behind closed doors but the, the germany one isn't um we all know the rivalry between the two countries what would be your message to the the fans who are going to munich well i doubt they'd listen to it really um because we, you know we're always sitting giving those messages but frankly if people are going to cause trouble they're not it's not going to make a jot of difference what i say about it um, I just think we're we're representing the country, so is everybody that travels, and um, we should be good ambassadors for our country and leave a good impression. That you know, thousands of football fans every year do that, and uh, and are welcomed back and are greeted warmly um, by people all around Europe when they travel. And so, um, we I think everybody that leaves this country and goes on holiday or goes to watch football matches has that same opportunity and responsibility. Now, I knew there'd be one 
Since the squad was announced, we have had a dropout. Arsenal's Ben White has withdrawn injured uh, and he's going to continue his rehab back at Arsenal. OK, Hungary, they're up first. Let's get the lowdown on them. Joining me once again uh, is Thomas Mortimer from HungarianFootball.com. Thomas, you all right? Yeah, really good. Thank you. How are you? Yeah, all good. Thank you. Good to speak again. We we obviously spoke last time when uh, the two nations were drawn together in World Cup qualifying. Didn't really go to uh, to plan for Hungary. Uh, finished fourth in that World Cup qualifying group. What was the what was the fallout from that? You know, um, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't great to be honest. Obviously. I think because of Hungary doing so well in the in the, in the Euros and being really competitive against um, top sides, then in terms of the manager, he was he's kind of let off for for what happened uh, in, in qualifying. Really, he was kind of given a free pass, yeah. and there were a couple of good results. Obviously, obviously drawing against England was was a big thing at Wembley after after kind of being battered in in the game at home. And obviously the racist scenes, which were uh, horrendous to, to witness, um, that was kind of a shining light in a in a very inconsistent um, campaign. Really, like Hungary lost at home to Albania, lost home and away to, to Albania, put up some good performances against Poland, and obviously beat Andorra and San Marino. So it was, yeah, a mixed bag, um, really. Yeah, I, I seem to remember you said you you went to the 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 home or the, sorry the the away game for Hungary but obviously at Wembley is that right yeah yeah um and it was thankfully I wasn't in the the away end um because the, it, it all kicked off there was some Polish fans in with the Hungarians I'm not absolving the Hungarian no. fans of blame at all but um the it was kind of the Polish fans who who caused the the um the incidents with the with the police and um yeah, it was it was chaotic, um, it, and that was right from the start. And it was like, oh god, here we go again. A bit of fan trouble with, when Hungarians are involved, but yeah, on the on the pitch at least, um, Hungary put them put them in a really good performance and, and did the nation proud. Really, yeah, yeah. Some some unsavoury scenes that we saw that, and and the result of that, um, or, or one of the the results of that was this forthcoming game. Uh, in Budapest on Saturday the 4th of June will be behind closed doors or technically behind closed doors but I've read that there will be school children uh, in Mm. attendance for that one which will uh, at least gives it some sort of atmosphere yeah yeah I mean I guess like the 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 worst thing about like the closed doors thing is is the atmosphere on the telly is is just as we all saw during lockdown it was it was quite tedious to watch football when it's being played behind closed doors and the last thing you want is that fake crowd noise because it just never got along with that um so at least there is kind of some um yeah kind of support in the crowd though it might because the it's school children it might be very high pitched (laughs) yeah it's like a um schoolboys international i seem to remember watching those Mm. before and it's quite quite high pitched as you say the 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 manager has has picked his squad. Um, I've noticed that from it there are um, three from Hungarian champions Ferenc Varos, and there's three from Leipzig. Um, there's not many 
familiar names um, to me personally, other than Callum Styles from Barnsley, who, who when we previously spoke, we, we we don't think he or you're saying he just sort of arrived on the, the Hungarian scene or, or sort of that's where he'd put his allegiances to. Yeah, so I think um, when we were speaking about it last time, there was um, there was a big strong debate and big strong rumours that he was gonna he was gonna declare for Hungary. Um, at that point, Barnsley were not doing very well in the Championship, and I think at twenty two, he probably realised at that point that he was never gonna play for England. Um, the other option that he could have had would would be to play for Ukraine, but because of the citizenship law over there that he would have had to revoke his citizenship um, from Britain. He right. couldn't have dual, dual citizenship, which he can with Hungary. So I think it, by the sounds of it, became quite a straightforward decision for him. He, he really wants to play international football. It's, it, it, the reason why he can play for Hungary is because of his grandparents who came over um, to, to England during the revolution. And um, he, he's not had the greatest season with Barnsley. I mean, Barnsley themselves didn't have a great season. They got relegated. But um, the season before that, he was he was awesome. And, and I think... I think he will stay in the championship this year. And it's it's really quite a cool story. I think it'll be um the most spoken about thing before the game and probably during just an English guy who doesn't speak Hungarian playing for Hungary uh, against England. It's quite it's quite a story. And he is he, yeah, like I say, he's really good. He's one of the the better players technically in, in the Hungarian side already, um, which may be uh, an indicator of how um, strong or not this Hungarian team is really. What, what position is he playing? So he plays a number of different positions for, for Barnsley. Uh, he's played a lot on the right wing this season. He can play left midfield. He's left-footed. He can play centre midfield. Um, for Hungary so far, he's played that left wing back. Um, it's, a, it's a position that Hungary aren't very strong in. So he's kind of come in and fitted perfectly into that position. He's also played in the centre midfield. So I expect him to probably start at left wing back um, and, and he might drift in centre midfield uh, later in the game, I reckon. Okay. And is there any other players that we should be sort of taking note of? I think the the one in, in terms of flair and, and um, something that might uh, be created in an exciting perspective is, is Dominic Soboslai, who's, who's Hungary's kind of star boy. Um, he's not, he's had a decent-ish first season in the Bundesliga. Like I think some people expected him to, to take it by storm, but he's, he's done pretty well. He scored uh, a fair few goals, got a fair few assists. Um, and Leipzig obviously ended up winning the cup, qualifying for the Champions League. So he's had a pretty first uh, Pretty good first season in the Bundesliga, and he's only twenty-one. He's definitely one to watch. And the two other the Leipzig players um, uh, are Hungary's best. Peter Gualacci, who's the, who's the captain at Leipzig, um, is a first-class goalkeeper. He made two wonderful saves in the cup fight in the German cup final to um, to get inside the victory. And Willy Orban is is arguably um, one of Leipzig's best players as well in defence. So the, the the kind of the the spine of the team is all Leipzig players and obviously Leipzig are a decent side. So mm. um, those three are the ones to watch really. I think Andras Schaefer as well is, um, is, is, is one to keep an eye on. He scored against Germany in the, in the Euros last year. And he's just recently moved to the Bundesliga himself to Union Berlin and, and he's started really well. There. He's, he's quite young at 23. So he's maybe one to look out for too. 
Cool, I see. Well, last year, um, the two teams met within a couple of months of each other. It was September was the away game and October was the game at Wembley. Uh, this time, those those two games are are a lot closer together. Ten days, Saturday the 4th of June, as I said, is the away one. Tuesday the 14th of June um, is at home. Uh, I say at home, it's, well, it's at home in England, but it's going to be played at Wolverhampton. And... There, there's a little bit of history with with Hungarian football in mm. Wolverhampton, isn't there? Yeah, there is. Um, it, it's kind of Wolverhampton's biggest moment in their footballing history. I think is when they played um, Honved before the um, before English teams were playing in the European Cup. Um, they actually ended up beating them, and Honved back then were were one of Europe's best teams. Um, I weren't they didn't they have the majority of the spine of the sort of the six three team? Yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah. So when um when Wolves beat them, it was kind of almost like a redemption thing for for, for that. Like um to beat to beat that team was seen as being like a a, a monumental achievement, really. Uh, I don't know how seriously Honve took it. I mean I mean, I'm coming from from a Hungarian perspective, so I, I might say that. But like, I don't, from what I've read from a Hungarian perspective, that it wasn't taken as seriously as as Wolves took it at the time. But I think um, it's still, it was still a very very big game. Though it was only a friendly, it was um, yeah, it was huge. And and it and like I say, it's one of Wolves's biggest uh, achievements, I think, as a club because that's when they were at their best during that time period. It's when Honved were at their best and, and Hungarian football ever since, not very long after that, has kind of been on a decline ever since. So it's, it's um, the, there weren't too many big games that Honved played on the international stage. And that is kind of one of them. And, it's, and unfortunately for them, it's kind of remembered for being not a great um, not a great tie from their perspective. But yeah, it's, uh, um, yeah, it's a huge moment in, in history. Oh, Honved as a team, are they still... In the top flight of of Hungarian football, they are. Yeah, um, actually, the, uh, the 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 manager of of Hungary, Marco Rossi, won the league with with Honvéd uh, about three or four years, uh, oh. probably longer than about five or six years ago. He won it. Honvéd are very they're, they're kind of just a mediocre side in, in Hungary these days. But he won the title with them against all odds, and that's why. He was kind of elevated to, to such levels in Hungarian football, and then and then he took over a team called Dots in in Slovakia, a Hungarian minority team, um, and he got the job almost because of his um, his win with with Honvé t- taking a me- mediocre side to oh. uh, to glory. So um, yeah, they're not they're not the biggest team. Ferenc Varos the biggest team in Hungary uh, these days, undoubtedly. Um, but they are still um, they are still kicking it about, and that until very recently they were still playing at the ground where the the Marty Magyar team played. It was um, it was very very old. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. So are you planning on going to to the game at Wolves? Um, yeah, fingers crossed. I, I'm just waiting on my accreditation to be accepted by um, by the English FA. So um, if that goes through, then yeah, I'll be there. Cool. Well, well, maybe I'll uh, I'll see you there. Um, HungarianFootball.com, obviously, are you you're still writing for that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and there, and um, I should have an article on um, Hungarian football, and um, and the the fact that 
um, a, a few of the Hungarian team are, are actually not Hungarian and, and the fact that there's a lot of um, foreign players playing in the league is kind of a take on the politics side of, of the Hungarian football system. Um, I'm writing for Balkan Insight, which should be live over the next few days as well. Great stuff. Well, uh, well, we'll link to that as and uh, as and when it comes out. Let us let us know when it's out there. Cool. Thank you. Will do. Tom, thank you very much for for joining us. And yeah, maybe we'll we'll speak again. Great stuff. Thank you for having me. Now, let's welcome back to the Three Lions podcast. It's been a little while. I uh, first spoke to him back in April 2020 when the world was in a, uh, a funny old place. Uh, welcome back to Marco Kunawa. Hello, Marco. Yeah, hello. You it's are... a very great honour to be part of the podcast again. Yeah. Yes. Now, welcome back. You are our resident German-English fan. Yeah, I'm I'm a German, but I'm only English fan. I'm unfortunately not England in my blood, but England in my heart, England in my brain. And um, I only live for England. Yeah, unfortunately born in, in, in Berlin and in, in Germany, but thinking English, eating English, yeah, looking you love- English. <laughs> <laughs> you love your fish and chips. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, for anyone that didn't hear the conversation with Marco first time around, it's episode 90. Uh, I'd highly recommend go have a uh, have a listen to that and, and hear some of Marco's stories. It's, it's great. The uh, the way his, his English mentality, which uh, he's got over there in Germany. But the the reason we're chatting today um, and I'm actually talking to you just before you're uh, for you're going on holiday for a little while. So thank you very much for this. But Germany in Munich is coming up, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's a very, very main event also here in Germany. Or I think also the Germans can't wait for the match because um, after the COVID pandemic, um, yeah, it's, it's only a few weeks ago that the, the arenas are full crowded again. And that's the the main event uh, after the pandemic, and and yeah, everybody can't wait for it. Yeah, I think the arena is um, totally sold out. I think so. Only a few empty seats are, are free, but yeah, I think it will be a very very great event. Um, we hope all for very good weather, but at Munich, at, at the time in the year, normally um, very good temperatures. The sun is shining. The beer is waiting for us. Yeah. Love it. I love that. Have you ever been to the, the Allianz Arena before? No, unfortunately, only when we are going to Austria for skiing, um, we passed uh, by the arena. But I am not a very um, great supporter or a very great fan from Bayern Munich. So unfortunately, I have never been in the arena before. Like, um, yeah, I think um, many English guys and, and, and sisters. And yeah, I can't wait for it. But uh, from the videos and from the TV and, and so on, it looks very amazing with a very good atmosphere. And yeah, can't wait for it. Yeah, no, you're right. It is Tuesday, the 7th of June. Uh, so it's been played in the, the Allianz Arena, home of Bayern Munich, who who once again are, are Bundesliga champions once again. But Germany and the Nations League has had a... Uh, I know that the Nations League has only had sort of two 
runs so far. Germany in it haven't had the best of of runs. The first time they were relegated and then reprived, uh, and then the second time around finished second to Spain. Uh, I think they had Switzerland in their group as well because they drew three all of them, and then they were they were defeated six nil to Spain. Do they? What's the Germans' thoughts on the Nations League? Do you know, do they take it seriously? Yeah, you, you, yeah, it's a very good question. But um, to answer it, you um, have to know that the chief instructor Löw, yeah, Yogi Löw, mm. isn't anymore the chief instructor. We have a new chief instructor, Hansi Flick, his former assistant, and Hansi Flick is very, very motivated um, to show the fans, the supporters from Germany and um, the whole country that Germany is back on the international stage again. And because of that, um, the Nations League was, yeah, you are right, in, in former times, not very important for, for, the, for the German team. But now in front of the um, World Championships in, at Qatar, it has become more and more important and it's a very, very important proof for the German team because England is the first really serious opponent um, Yeah, for a few games which are coming up um, in front of the uh, World Cup. And so it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's to answer the question, it's very important. Now it's very important. That's the best, the best expression. Now it's very important. Unlike in, in former times where it hasn't the, 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 the important, um, yeah, the important point to, to the German supporters and to the German team. But now it's very important with a new coach. Yeah. Yeah. So I do, do, do German supporters look on Hansi Flick as a, uh, as a good manager now? Because obviously Joachim Lowe, he he didn't he, he had a bit of a um oh, towards the end of his spell it, it wasn't going well for him yeah that's true in in the first in the, in the beginning Jogi Löw was was a hero a kind of hero here in Germany but in the following times yeah in the following years he had very great um, problems um, and difficulties to reach his own team, yeah, and there were some, um, yeah, troubles uh, inside the team, and um, yeah, at the end of his period as a coach from as a coach from from the German national team, he wasn't very lucky, and yeah, he wasn't very successful, and now Hansi Flick is a very different person to to Yogi Löw. Yogi Löw was. Uh, serious and he was speaking um yeah not very um aggressive and and yeah and Hansi Flick is a different kind of type he's a little bit more aggressive he says we want the, the success the success we want to become the world champions yeah and we have um yeah the wish not only the wish but we 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 want the world cup and that's the reason why he reaches his own team, the, the, the team is looking to him and they uh, ha, they have a new hope, yeah? Because the, the old team under Yogi Love, they were a little bit, yeah, not bored, but a little bit, yeah, it's going on and we are playing and yeah, everything is going on. But Hansi Flick demands from his from his players, uh, he wants that they, they spend everything to have the success 
And if they don't play what he wants and if they don't give all for the German team, they are not longer, longer part of the team. Yeah. And that's what he said. And that's what he, what he, what he does. And yeah, it's, it's good for the German team to have Hansi Flick. Yeah. I see. Well, I mean, Joachim Lowe's last game in charge of that German national team from an English point of view was a great day. Uh, it was a day that I was there at Wembley. It was the, the day that England beat Germany in Euro 2020. What was it like? in Germany, what, what was the feeling there losing to England and, and yourself? How did you react for that game? Yeah, that's a very good question. Yeah, <laughs> to, to begin, to, to begin uh, with, with, with the most important thing is I had um, luck, lucky-wise tickets for the, for the match, yeah? Tickets for the match against, for the eight, eight final against Germany. We booked the flights. Um, we wanted to go to England, but because of the COVID pandemic, it wasn't possible for me to go to England. And yeah. I was very, very disappointed That's from my own point of view. And um, to answer your question, uh, where did I see the match? Yeah, unfortunately, um, at home, I had... Um, Flags outside of my balcony, <laughs> England flags in a German area where everyone flagged with German flags. Yeah, and all the fucking German neighbors hated me because they know I'm only loving England <laughs> and we support England. Yeah, in front of the match, we played England songs. Yeah, three lines on my shirt with yeah. an open window. Yeah, and then we 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 watched it. Yeah, I was online on Facebook. Yeah, the last uh, thirty minutes I was online on Facebook, and I was I was yeah I was crazy. I was crazy when we we had the possibility to beat Germany. And yeah, for me and my wife and my son and so on, it was the best day of my life to beat the old <laughs> enemy Germany in a, in a great match and at a competition. Yeah. Um, it was, it was the best day of my life, you, you know, and the, the neighbors, the neighbors were, excuse me, the expression, but they were really fucked off. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and a, 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 a very interesting story for you. I was free for work. I had holidays. Yeah, I said to yeah. my to my to my bank officer, to my bank chief, I am going to 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 Rome in case that Germany will beat as that that England will beat Germany. And he said, Yeah, it's no problem. And yeah, you are fine. We are fine with it. And go to Rome. But one day after England was beating Germany, I got a call from my chief, chief in the bank. And he said, ah, there are big problems with the pandemic, with COVID. Don't go to, to Rome because you will bring COVID. And yeah, we didn't think that, that England will beat Germany. And what the fuck is going on? And don't go to Rome. And I said, chief, you are my chief in the bank, but you are not the chief of my life and not the chief of my heart. And I go, whatever you say. And everything is legal and I'm uh, vaccinated. So shut up. Yeah. Let me be an England fan. But they were really fucked off, uh, fucked up in the bank because they made a big party, a German party. And they flecked everything with German, with German flags and they invited German fans to the bank. Yeah. <laughs> they were so disappointed. And I wa was the most hated enemy <laughs> for a few weeks. Yeah. Oh, so did you go That's to Rome? Did you go to Rome then? 
No, 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 no. I, I didn't go to Rome because all of my friends were not going to Rome. And I had tickets for Rome, but all of my friends um, were not going to Rome. And um, yeah, I didn't want to go alone yeah. and uh, had only the possibility to meet some guys at Rome. So no, um, I didn't go to Rome. I, I saw the match on TV and yeah, I was waiting for the next possibility to, to watch a game with my, all, with all my English friends. And, um, but you but still I have had the tickets. I had the yeah. tickets for Rome. Yeah. And you, you still have your job though at the bank. I still have my job by now, but now I'm not. Uh, I'm I'm not in the old in the old office. I changed to another office, <laughs> and there are a lot of football fans. Yeah, and they are open-minded. They are Turkish ones. They are French ones, and they everyone supports another team and another nationality. So we are multinational. Yeah, and so uh, they say, yeah, England is okay. Support your England. We support Turkey. We support Switzerland. We support France. It's okay. Now they are more open-minded and more multi-international than the old colleagues and chiefs in, in, in the old office. Yeah. Uh, it is a world game. It's a game for everyone. So uh, yeah, glad. for sure. For sure. Yeah. So, Obviously, the game is being played in Munich. Um, now, I know you you yourself, you're based up in, in the north of Germany, so it's going to be a, a, a journey for yourself. But you, you're an ideal person to, to tell us a little bit about Munich for those that maybe have never been or um, maybe some, some suggestions of, of what to see and do just before the game. Yes, that's a very good question um, because you said it really um, it's, it's the truth. I'm living in the north and um, we have only been, I think, once or two times at Munich with my family. And yeah, Munich is a very, very interesting town because it has a very um, interesting old town. And the most important things that are interesting for the most English fans is the old town with a big place. I must shortly ask my wife how it is called, Victorianmarkt or... Yeah, it's called. Yeah, I had to ask my wife, who is listening to the to the interview. It's the Vitualian Market. It's very interesting with with very typical German food, um, Bavarian food, and so on. And on this place at the at the old town, there are a lot of pubs. You can sit outside. You can drink uh, very very good Bavarian beer. There's also the the so-called Hof, the Hofbräu House, yeah, it's a very, very famous place known all over the world, a very big pub, a typical Bavarian pub where you can bring, drink and celebrate and drink um, the, the so-called uh, Mass, uh, in, in Germany they call it Mass, we want to order a Mass, it's a very big glass of, of, of beer, yeah, and then my wife recommended, I asked my wife, Heike, yeah, in front of this interview, what can I recommend to all the English guys and girls, and she said they have to visit the English Garden, the English Garden is a garden a little bit outside from Munich, with a lot of pubs, yeah, in in, in a very green area and there you can celebrate, there you can sit outside, there you can drink beer. Yeah, typical Bavarian um, uh, food, typical Bavarian beer and I think it's, it would be a very good idea to go to the English garden and drink there by typical perfect German sunny weather, a mass of Bavarian beer. Yeah. The, the typical Bavarian food 
I've heard uh, is that is it boiled white sausage? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. It's a white sausage with with um, with mustard with with sweet mustard. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's right. That's a typical German food when you go to Munich and in Bavaria. Yeah, and is it um, uh, what do you call it? Sauerkraut with that. Sauerkraut. Yeah, with sauerkraut. Yeah. That's right. So that's that's something to to um to experience now german beers munich is famous for its six german beers isn't it there's uh you've mentioned the hofbar house they have their uh their beer there's laumbrau uh, augustina paulina uh Hakasor, and yeah. spartan i believe yeah yeah, you could work. You could work at the Hofbräuhaus. House. You know every famous beer in, in Bavaria. Yeah, for, for sure. That's Go on the now, most, um, which yeah. which one is the best German or Munich beer in your opinion? Wait a moment. That that has to answer my wife. Wait, okay. wait the best. Wait, wait the best Munich beer. What what Hackabschau or what what we recommend? Uh, the most of commercial is Paulana. Okay, the most commercial one. Okay. Yeah, Paulana and. I I prefer what you said, Hacker Shaw, but unfortunately, in the north we drink other beers than in the south. And because of I've not been so often in the in the south of of Germany, I'm not the expert of of the beer stores. So I think Russell, you are more expert than me. What what the sorts of of beer at Munich will be? Yeah, uh, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> Well, it might disappoint one or other English fan, but but yeah, yeah, that's that's unfortunately the truth. <laughs> well, we I shall try and try them all. Um, hey, one, I think that's the best idea. That's, that's right. Idea. And I'll report back. Um, I one thing I've heard that uh, a lot of English supporters have been talking about, and you may know a little bit about this. Um, there is for those that maybe are travelling into. A different city and moving on to Munich. Uh, there is a train, or a, is it a Deutsche Bahn? Uh, are yeah. doing a nine euro uh, ticket. Is that something you are aware of? Yeah, but it's now it's in. Uh, yeah, there's, there's a government just installed a nine euro ticket and you can use it in the month of june yeah i think yeah but i, I have not the perfect information about it because it's a very new information and i don't know if it if it's working for 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 foreign fans too i don't know exactly but i can imagine that it will work yeah Munich okay. is yeah, I think yeah, it's a Deutsche Bahn, and you can use a nine euro ticket um, with every train or bus you want to use. All the public traffic you can use with a nine euro ticket. Yeah, normally it must be possible to buy this, this ticket at a normal store, at a Deutsche Bahn store, uh, everywhere where we can buy tickets and buy the nine euro tickets, and then you can use with this ticket. Every train, every bus, every public um, transportation system, and it should be possible. Yeah, but the information is very new. I have the final, final information about it. Okay, well, it's certainly something that we can uh, we can look into. Uh, one one more thing I seem to remember: the the English Garden. Do people surf there? Is there like a a river where people surf? 
Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yes, yes, a little, yeah, yeah, that's true. You have good information. Yeah, there's a little river, and you can surf at this little in this little river. Yeah, um, yeah, it's 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 not a big river, but yeah, that's true. It's a little uh, kind of little sensation in the in the in the in the English Garden. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I'm not saying that England fans should be going to to actually surf, but it's something to to certainly go and go and watch for for ten fifteen minutes. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 good to watch it, to drink a beer, and watch the people surfing in it. When the weather's good, there are a lot of people surfing. Yeah, I think it's very interesting to watch, perhaps for fifteen or 20, 20 minutes, as you said. But I think the English garden is so so um, fantastic, and um, yeah, you have other things to do, like uh, enjoy the sun, enjoy the perfect atmosphere. It's really really amazing over there. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm I'm really looking forward to uh, to just taking a uh, a wander around Munich um, before the game. Uh, but getting on to the game, um, obviously Germany will have plenty of recognisable players that have either played over here uh, in the Premier League or players that we we're aware of. Your likes of Neuer, Rudiger, Sane, yeah. Havertz, yeah. all all those famous names. But come on, then from a uh, from your perspective, what's the score going to be? I think it will be really a hard match. In the end, I think England wins wins the match. Three for England, two for Germany. I ah. think that will, will be the final result. So similar to that was the result of a game in Berlin a few years back, wasn't really? it? Right, right, right. I enjoyed the game in Berlin. It was a brilliant atmosphere, and hopefully. The same result for England, and be sure when we win the game, the match, the party is really going on. Even if we lose the match, the party is also going on. <laughs> Look forward to it, Marco. Thank you very much for your time, uh, and hopefully, I can we can say hello in person this time. That would be very, very nice, and. Hopefully we meet for a, a typical Bavarian beer and yeah, celebrate the, 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 the match and the win from our loved England. Sounds like a deal to me. Marco, I know, I know you're in a, um, your hotel just shortly before going on holiday. So um, yeah, all, all the very best. Thank you to yourself and thank you very much to your wife as well. Yeah, she says bye-bye. Bye-bye. Oh, Have feed a good time. Oh, I'll Have feed a good time. Yes. Yeah, well thank then. you very much. Now, on the 11th of June, England once again entertain Italy, although this time it's at Molyneux, Wolverhampton. And I'm delighted to say I've been joined by Steve from the Milan Weekly Podcast. Steve, hello there. Hey, how are you, Russell? Very well, thank you. Yourself? Very good, thank you. Been a, uh, been a good year for you guys, hasn't it, from the, uh, the Milan Weekly Podcast? Yeah, selfishly, Russell, uh, I have to say it's been a good year uh, being Italian and being uh, someone who uh, has been a lifelong fan of Milan. It's been a great couple of months of uh, calcio and football here in uh, in Canada and abroad there for uh, for many reasons that we'll talk about. 
It's been a uh, been a long time since Milan have been top of the pile. Many people in in England here will probably remember there was program Channel Four. Um, Gazzetta Italia, um, which I grew up with, and, and at the time Milan, they were they were one of the teams to watch out for. Yeah, so going back to Channel Four, that's that's a long time ago. But uh, if we fast forward a little bit for people that uh, bleed uh, the red and black from Milan, it's been a very uh, up and mostly down 11 years. So uh, you could just imagine that this uh, this championship, whatever people will write. You'll see a worse team to win the Serie A Scudetto in, uh, in the longest time. You'll see uh, an unbalanced and weak Serie A. Every other excuse that they can write for us uh, Milan fans, this is something that's really important and you know brings us back on, uh, on a winning track. So uh, very important for us. Well, many congratulations and uh, enjoy it. We've been enjoying it since Sunday, so uh, it's it's getting uh, the wife and the girlfriends are uh, of these uh, fellow Milan fans are getting a little bit fed up, you know. So I've been answer I've been answering my phone when people call me, uh, Steve Polillo, Campione d'Italia, which is, translates <laughs> in English as Steve Polillo, Champion of Italy. How can I assist you? You know, so uh, everybody's starting to get a little bit fed up with that. So marvelous, marvelous. Well, I tell you what, sticking on the on the Milan theme. There is one player who's been playing for Milan, who's been picked for the England team by Gareth Southgate, uh, Fikiaro Tomori. Tell us your thoughts on him. Yeah, so I won't lie to all the listeners there. Uh, when we signed Tomori from Chelsea, it was a bit of a head scratcher. We were we were looking for a centre back. We had uh, you know Kajar and we had Romagnoli, both two uh, centre backs that either. Uh, are, are very, I don't want to insult them there, but they're not as athletic as we would need the center backs to be. And, you know, also uh, Simon Kier, uh in regards to age, we wanted someone you know, with a little bit more of a profile. And I, I did not know much about Tomori. And then you start to research, and I was very surprised to see that, you know, he has a Canadian link in there too. Uh, and that was something that was interesting and to see him, you know, and again, you know, we love to make content, you know, yourself, Russell, as well. We're only privy to the content that we see on YouTube and, you know, and whatever highlights you can find. So I didn't know really much about him, but he's been a pleasant surprise. He's been one of Milan's extraordinary signings because... He's become that modern-day center back, right? Uh, very athletic, uh, uh, very good first pass, uh, you know, uh, uh, intelligent. And if he does make a mistake, he has that recuperation speed to 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 kind of uh, sweep that mistake underneath the rug and not make anybody notice that the mistake is there. And you know, for me, Russell, it was a head scratcher why it took so long for England to to call him up. And you know. Someone that it's not any fault of his own, but uh, Harry Maguire has not had the best of seasons with Manchester yeah. United. And this is not something that, hey, it's happened one year. This is as soon as he made the switch for the big money move, he had this humongous pressure on his shoulders and it looks like he can't, can't play football anymore. And coming from a league, you know, Italians were known for that defensive, defensive minded uh, attack, which, you know, doesn't really exist anymore, but you see his play compared to Tamori's play, and you scratch your head. Why did it take so long to call him up? 
Well, we shall see. Perhaps this will be his his opportunity to stake his claim in the uh, in the England team and and maybe be somewhat ironic if he does end up playing starting against Italy in the game at Wolves. Um, yeah, we shall see on him. It'll be very exciting watching his journey. Now, let's let's get it out of the way. Last year's Euro final. Um, how did you perceive it all? How did it go down in the Italian community uh, that you were in? Yeah, so uh, for for me, uh, like I said before, I'm Italo-Canadese and I live in Montreal, which is a city in the province of Quebec here in Canada. Montreal is a humongous Italian community. It's huge. Uh, it spreads from the east end of the island all the way to the west end of the island. And, you know, there's a central part uh, in uh, close to downtown, which is Little Italy, that has a whole bunch of uh, uh, Italian cafes and more of Italian feel. But Montreal in itself is very European, right? So, you know, we have uh, pubs like Burgundy Lion where they'll be showing Sunday more Saturday morning, Sunday morning. Uh, they'll be showing every single EPL game, right? Uh, yeah. And uh, there is also that wow factor of the EPL, right? So the EPL, I call it the marketing juggernaut of football, yeah. uh, did a fantastic job, you know, and in, in in marketing EPL in the English Premier League to Americans, which are the humongous consumers. And when you market things well, everybody gets on the bandwagon. So there you, you walk around the city, you'll see the Manchester City jerseys, you'll see the United jerseys, the Chelsea jerseys, you, you'll see them. And, you know, in the Italian community, they, we kind of latch on to Serie A and pick our Italian team. So you'll see the, the Milan jersey, you'll see the Juventus jersey, you'll see the Inter jersey, Lazio, Roma, Napoli. And it's nice to see, but the Euro transforms Montreal, Russell. If you believe it, it becomes like a, it, it becomes like a, magically everybody at 345 has a doctor's appointment and is <laughs> sitting in front of their TV or at their local bar trying not to be caught on social media watching these these games, right? So yeah. the whole Euro tournament, in, it, it, it's beautiful here for Montreal. It transforms it. And, you know, uh, talking to friends and, and you know and uh, talking about what the team selection was for Italy before it started it was kind of interesting to see what Mancini was going to do and we didn't really have any great expectations but for me you know uh, uh, I started watching it with a very good friend of mine and a whole bunch of uh, other other Italians at uh, a local bar here in the east end where I live Chacharos and I stood at a post Russell and uh, after that first win, I stood at that post outside the bar watching the, the game for the entire Euro, including the final. So a little bit of superstition. That's the Italian side. That's the, the uh, back to the motherland superstition. And, you know, it was a Euro that was needed after all the stuff that we went through. Uh, you know, with COVID, people were able to get out, get together, watch things together. Yeah. I think it was like really good for society and in humanity. And again, for us, the cherry on the cake was uh, Italy actually going all the way and winning it. But uh, my expectations, I would be lying to you and everybody who listens if I say, hey, Russell, I knew they were going to win. There was really uh, games where I was like, how did we even get out of these games? But that's the that's the the recipe for the short tournament, right? And uh, that's yeah. what you need to figure out. You need to figure out how you can combine luck, 
talent and who's going to peak at that perfect time, right? So we saw Chiesa peak. We saw Spinazzola peak until he got injured. We saw Donnarumma peak as well. And the veterans kicked in, you know, Kellini Bonucci. And then every single person that he was rotating in was was playing a piece in this in this magical recipe. So, again, uh, to beat England at Wembley is, is something special, right? It's not uh, it's not every day that that's going to happen. You're going to have two colossuses in the final, uh, and one one of those big pieces is actually playing at home. So, uh, it, it was something uh, spectacular. Yeah. Well. Well, that was that was all part of a an amazing. Was it like 37 games unbeaten and, and sort of you, you peaked up there, you won the trophy and then you just crashed. Well, I'm in the World Cup, like obviously losing to to uh, North Macedonia. Uh, I mean, in, in between that, obviously, you, I think you that run of unbeaten games came to an end in, in the Nations League, I believe. Yeah. I mean, and, and obviously Mancini's still in charge from that high. So then going out of the World Cup again, what what's happened? You know, it's, it's a couple of things, Russell. Uh, it's uh, it's one, there's always that lull and that uh, drop in form after a long tournament like that. And again, I don't want to make any excuses. It's something that I stick by. I, I just feel that these players have played a tremendous amount of soccer, uh, you know, with the condensed season and going through COVID. And I also think, COVID actually played a little bit of a factor in some of the health issues that we've been seeing with these guys. You know, the, a lot of muscle pain, a lot of uh, strains, a lot of pulls. But I'm not going to make any excuses. The, the, you know, Serie A in itself as a league has a lot of work to do, you know, and that trickles up also to the, to, to the, the national team. You know, uh, the big teams like Milan, Inter, Juve, these teams need to win. And they don't care who they field. They need results right away. So the development process in Italy is something that's been way, way behind all the other leagues. And it's almost archaic, right? So uh, that's one huge portion. The other portion is, you know, the players themselves missed already one World Cup. So you lose that experience for someone like Lorenzo Insigne, who, you know, uh, when we missed the World Cup, when we, we tied against Sweden and we didn't make Russia. Yeah. That was a tournament to... You know, we knew, you know, and again, anything's possible, but let's be let's be honest. We knew that if we were going to go to Russia, we were not winning the World Cup that year. There were many better teams than us, more stacked, more deep. But that would be a great experience for guys like Insigne, Chiesa, Spinazzola, whoever he wanted to bring in that tournament to say, hey, you know, come and enjoy the ride. This is what the World Cup is. This is what it means. They didn't get that. They didn't they never got that. And then you, you you make the Euro, you win the Euro, and now you're qualifying to. And again, the biggest point is Italy has no one else to blame but themselves. You know, people can point at Jorginho, they can point at whoever they want. You need to close out the game and you need to qualify first in that group before you get to these playoff rounds. And you see what the playoff rounds do. Uh, there's one last thing that I want to say. Maybe the people listening are not going to agree. But one other thing is that I believe the winner of a X tournament, if it's the winner of the Euro, that winner should automatically qualify for the World Cup. Because in the World Cup, you have the best teams. The best team from Europe should be the last Euro winner. Whether you like it or not, 
that's what it is. It would reduce the amount of soccer played. And I say the same thing for the African Nations Cup. Every domestic cup in every continent should have a place in the World Cup. They're adding teams, Russell. Uh, every year, every four years, we have more teams. Well, let's let's make it beneficial to a team, example, like Italy, whether they deserved it or not. And I think I can be honest with everybody and say, did they deserve it? No. But as Euro winners, if you take your hat off, they do deserve to be in the World Cup because you want the best of that calendar year or of that year of that cycle to be in the World Cup. And it's, I would have said the same thing if it would have been England who won the World Cup and didn't make and didn't qualify because that the incentive is always money, Russell. Yeah. I don't know why it's always money. You can give an incentive to a nation by just saying, hey, you win this, you qualify automatically for the World Cup. And then it's up to the nation to find a way to get some competitive matches in because you're not qualifying. It rests your players. It's good for the clubs and the uh, that own those players. I don't see why it's, it's a huge problem. And uh, I don't know why... Some people are completely against it when we have we're going to have in the next World Cup after Qatar. I think we're all going to be up to, what, 64 teams like soon. Let's just invite everybody. Right. Russell, why are we qualifying? Let's well, just I, invite everybody. Do, do you know, I've, I've never really thought of, of that idea. And had you not have said about, obviously, the expansion of the World Cup, I may have thought, not sure if that would work. Obviously, when you count in like your your African nations winners, your golf winners, Arab Cup winners, and obviously the, the Oceania area. But as, as the World Cup is expanding, perhaps it is a feasible idea. Um, it, yeah, maybe, maybe. It's, it's certainly not to be dismissed. Go on then, tell us about Tammy Abraham. Well, obviously he's a, a European trophy winner now, recently won with Roma in the, uh, I, you know, I've lost track of what they, Conference, Conference League. League. <laughs> but fair play, it's a European trophy to yeah. him. How's he, how's he, you've seen him? Yeah, so, uh, you know, following Serie A like we do, uh, you know, I, I love Milan, everybody's going to see behind, but I love I love Serie A and I love Calcio. And again, for everybody listening, I watch Premier League too. I wake up Saturday morning and I sit down and I watch the games too. I just love football. I'm an addict to football. So Tammy Abraham, you know, I saw him a couple of times at Chelsea, the appearances that he made, he seemed like it was interesting, but it's such a different game between the EPL and Serie A that... When when Roma signed him and at the price tag that they signed him, I was like, ah, I'm not sure if this is going to work out. But in the end, you see that he's super athletic. He's very strong. He's very fast. He has a nose for goal. And I think Serie A will uh, fine tune that work around the net, right? Because it's a bit of a slower pace. It's not uh, It's not that athletically demanding as the EPL is. And I think, you know, it's exactly what happened during the year. He got better, he got stronger, he got more confident. And, you know, he, he was able to score goals on a, on a Roma team that, I'm not going to say they're not talented, but they under they underperformed this year. They're, they have some talent there. They had also some injury problems. You know, Zaniolo's another up-and-coming star. Uh, Mourinho does play a very defensive style of football, which, you know, uh, that's not good. No one's going to tell the special one how to play soccer, but... Uh, that's tough to score that amount of goals when you're when you're when your manager is playing a defensive uh, style of football. So I credit the the buy from Rome. I think him and uh, Oshiman from Napoli were two great signings. Uh, uh, both uh, young strikers, and again, 
trying to get that form, that athletic striker who's uh, you know who's really good in the box, uh, uh, physical up front, and these are the type of strikers that we're we're, we're seeing that are coming up, uh, and every team wants. So Roma have theirs and Tammy Abraham, and I think I'm not gonna see Chelsea lost. This Chelsea so was I'm gonna say is. I don't know what's going to happen with Chelsea now. I don't know if the sale is going through, but Chelsea has so much money that they had so many people out on loan. And they, you know, Tammy Abraham, was he going to find space if they took on Roman Lukaku? Uh, at the beginning of the season, I would have said no. But you see, Lukaku signing at Chelsea shows you how athletic and fast-paced the EPL is. And someone like Lukaku, whether, you know, that he's physical and strong, doesn't really quite fit, but he was great in Serie A. So, you know, people say, you know, EPL versus Serie A. For me, I just say it's two different types of soccer, and you and the player has to make an intelligent move of where he's going. It's not always about money, Russell. And you see Tammy Abraham went from Chelsea, where he could have won. He could have stayed on the bench, and he could have won Champions League, could have won the league, he could have won who knows what. This is, of course, not knowing what would have happened with Abramovich and yeah. you know, that whole saga. But he decided to take a move and go to Roma and show his talents there, you know. And someone like Lukaku did the opposite. Well, you know, Inter were in financial trouble, needed to sell. He's like, I'm going to go back to Chelsea. Got more money, but sat on the bench the whole year and eh, underperformed, you understand? So that demoted his stock. So uh, Tammy Abraham is an interesting player. I'm curious to see how Roma is going to add to their squad to help him out. Well, just, just two other English names, obviously, at Roma that deserve some credit, uh, although not in the, the England team, is Chris Smalling and Ainsley Maitland-Niles have, have sort of done well over there. Chris Smalling as well, I think. Yeah, look, uh, Smalling came from uh, Manchester United. And again, uh, we're not used to seeing the English player making that transfer from uh, from England to Serie A. Not, not something that happens very often. So, you know, again, Roma took a chance and you know it worked out well for him he's had some good games he's had some bad games is he the best defender in the world no but I think he has a lot of experience and you know and and again should Smalling be in the English national team I say no I think that they have you know uh, they have some some depth there that they can use but uh, you know for Roma I think it was an interesting signing some uh, some foreign experience who's played some big games with United comes from a big club and uh, you know, all positive for them. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's just sort of round it up. Obviously, well, England have got four games to play in these this next couple of weeks. Italy have got five. Yeah, Obviously, this is crazy, Russell. You've we got talked the game about against it Argentina. Yeah, we we talked about it before. These guys are just playing too much soccer. Yeah. And you know, and it's it, it were, I don't know what UEFA and what FIFA are doing and I know what stats they have to back it. But if I'm a club owner, I'm really pissed off because I just finished a grueling 38 match season, 38 for Serie A. I don't know how many they play in uh, in England, but they just played that. There's international breaks. There's World Cup qualifying. Now the season's over. Now I'm starting another tournament, another Nations League tournament. And again, Why? Why? Like, it's like, if for, for the teams that are playing the World Cup, you could have maybe said, you know what, they're like kind of exhibition games for them. But the World Cup's in November. The World Cup's going to be in the middle of winter for us here in yes. Canada. But 
why in the summer? Why not just give them a break? Like in the long run, you're only diluting the brand. You're not going to get the best football out of these games. You know, England with four matches. Italy with five matches because they have this this uh, this friendly with Argentina to send everybody away for uh, Diego Armando Maradona. I don't know, Russell. I don't know what to think. I, I'm not a fan of this Nations League. Uh, I've never been a fan of the Nations League. I like the Confederation Cup little model that was uh, that was there. Obviously, they didn't like it because they found something to make more money. Because in the end, that's what it is. It's all about money. And uh, you know, when the players complain, I, I kind of side with them a bit. And uh, I would love to know, and I would love to hear more from the owners of these clubs about, hey, man, like this is my I. I like saying that you own the person is very harsh because it's not mm. that. Yeah. But he's invested in this player, and you know I know there's insurance and all that stuff, but you know you 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 tweak a knee here, you get uh, you know uh, heaven forbid something even more serious. Well, this investment that you've done in this player is gone. You know you don't have that anymore. So. Interesting times. I think, to be honest, we're uh, we're still paying for for the COVID pandemic, which is why they're squeezing all these games in now. Go on, just tell us where we can find the the Milan Weekly podcast. Yeah, so uh, Milan Weekly podcast. Uh, we're on all all the socials at Milan Weekly Pod. Uh, you know, we 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 go on live talking everything Milan and Serie A every Monday nights, nine o'clock Eastern Standard Time. Uh, Milan Weekly Podcast, all like we were talking about earlier, we branched out and we created a a show that really focuses on grassroots soccer, especially here in Canada. Myself and uh, Marcello Il Presidente, you'll see him on uh, on Twitter. He, uh, we both have kids in in soccer, and you know Canada is known for hockey, but we yeah. needed to uh, we need to put a little bit of focus on the local soccer and what they're doing there. So it's called the Local Soccer Show on the same uh, channel as Milan Weekly Podcast on YouTube. You can find this every uh, second Thursday. We have a guest, either local. Russell told me, guys, that he's looking for someone in England to come on the show. So uh, uh, look out for Russell coming in, uh, poke you guys to be a guest on the local soccer show. So, uh, you know, it's fun times. I enjoy doing this for me, Russell. It's uh, it's 45 minutes away, 45 minutes to an hour away from uh, regular life. And I get to talk to great people like you uh, about uh, about soccer. So, you know, come and check us out, guys. Uh, subscribe to the channel, turn on the notifications and let's go. Marvellous. I tell you what, when uh, when the return leg is played, I will have to pick your brains because it's been announced today that when England travel to Italy in September of this year, uh, it's been announced that it's going to be at the uh, the San Siro. Oh, 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 that's very nice. That's very nice. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you can give us the lay of the land when that comes around. Will do. Steve, thank you very much for your time. Always appreciated. And yeah, love to the guys. Thank you very much, Russell. Thank you very much for having me. Now, England on the road has been a regular thing of late, but it's been 66 years since England played in Wolverhampton. So I thought for those that have never been, myself included, we could do a little local guide. Now, uh, many will recognise him from on the ball travel, but he's also got 
55 years Wolverhampton history behind him. Uh, so please welcome to the Three Lions podcast, Mark Griffiths. Hello, Mark. Hello there, Russell. All right? Yes, very well. Thank you. Yourself? Thanks for the intro. <laughs> yeah, I'm good, thanks. 55 <laughs> years, man and boy, is that right? Oh, yes. Always been a, a born and bred in a WV postcode. So <laughs> I think you're asking the right person here. Good stuff. Um, well, I mean, just just quickly as well, um, on the ball travel, many people will, will recognise yeah. you from that. Just give us a, a, a quick outline of that. Yeah, well, basically, me and my mate um, get when she used to go to England games. He's uh, he still does when he can, and um, obviously, we tried to get the cheapest routes. So we were flying to A to get to B to get to C, and then I noticed a few other people were in the same city or wherever trying to get to the game. And I thought I've seen another couple of people do the coaches, and I thought, well, I'll have a bash at that. And uh, and that's where it sort of grew from. But I mean, if you ever want to come back on a podcast and uh, talk about Geneva, which was my first one, uh, you're welcome. Well, <laughs> it's it's a story in itself, but it was my first one, uh, and it was uh, <laughs> it didn't start off well. But um, because I got everybody out of the mess, a lot of people stuck with me, knowing that wherever we are, I'll get you there. Good stuff. Well, that, that we'll sounds talk like, about that some other time. Yeah, that but, sounds uh, like a date. We'll, uh... it, yeah, I've been doing it about eight, nine years. And, um, uh, and and I think people like to try different towns, different cities. They're not, you know, it's not all about money, trying to get to the straight to the venue. They just want to, you know, tick off a few boxes of where they've been. So that's where that's what it's all about really plus yeah. saving money <laughs> no, we're, we're all we're all together on that one we'll all recognize yeah, yeah. that but gone in wolverhampton england playing there uh, on the 11th of june against italy which uh, unfortunately is behind closed doors but the one we're all going to be going to is on the 14th of june against hungary i'm fortunate enough to to have got myself a ticket so looking forward to it but as i said i've never been to molyneux before i've never been to wolverhampton so, go on, where where do we start? How let's how do we get into Wolverhampton? Well, I, I will first say that many supporters of clubs who have come to Wolverhampton can also say they've not been to Wolverhampton because, uh, in general, it's not very good for away fans because they're uh, they're coming by train and they're carted off to one pub. So, unfortunately, <laughs> club games, not many people get to see the pubs around Wolverhampton. So. As soon as it was mentioned it was in Wolverhampton, obviously there was a lot of bad vibes going around. Yeah, oh, you don't you don't want to go there. And to be honest, I wouldn't want to go on a holiday there. But as, say, as far as club games are concerned, unfortunately, uh, the fans aren't allowed in the pubs in the city centre. Yeah. So they'll have never got to see it. Some will say that's good, some will say that's bad. Uh, as far as travelling into it, um, obviously the easiest is train right. and the train station. Is pretty much central. It's right next to the bus station and literally less than a 10-minute walk to the ground. But not only that, if you come out of the train station, you, if you literally walk in a straight line, you, you come to pub after pub after pub. I think I've seen it read somewhere that behind Newcastle, Wolverhampton's got the most pubs within a certain distance to the ground. Okay. So as a footballing town, you can't really grumble. Uh, match day for home supporters. It's fantastic. We, I think it's between 25 and 30 pubs within a 10-minute walk. Oh, it's going to be plenty to choose from then. Uh, yeah, I'm not saying they're all brilliant, um, but as I say, you've got a great choice. Um, to be honest, you come out the train station, as I say, if you walk in a straight line, you, you'll come to 10, 15 pubs within 
three or four minutes. And then from there, you're, you're five to six minutes from the ground. So it's very much centralised. Gotcha. As, as roads concerned, yep. yeah, you'll either come in from the M54 island down the Stafford Road or you'll either come up the Willinore Road, but there's not many parking spaces around the city centre. You're not going to find many um, NCPs or anything like that. The main parking is just outside the city centre. Again, still only a 15-minute walk to the ground. Um, but I'd look to park. If um, if people come in on the ring road, they'll see a big Sainsbury's and a pure gym or a gym next to it, to the gym. Uh, opposite there, there's an open-air car park in the middle of the ring road and just one off there, Fowl Street. And behind Sainsbury's, the church, some, I think it's St Mark's Church, I think it is, and... Yeah, and there's a lot of parking in the streets around there. Um, but if you try and get near the ground, West Park, if you can get round the park and park on the park round the perimeter, you're okay. But you can't park in the streets around there. It's all permit holders. Right. There That's aren't right. many, uh, whether they do for England, I don't know, but there aren't many places, you know, where you rock up and you can see a sign from a, a, a few miles away saying parking and, you know, there's people there taking a fiver off you. Not many of them about. One right next to the Red Wings Travel Lodge, which is right in the Waterloo Road by the ground. And people coming in from the Stafford Road, M54 area, if you drive past Dunstall and the Science Park, uh, there's a lot of parking around there and that's about a 15-minute walk to the ground. But not brilliant parking, I would say. It's better by train if you can do it. Okay. That's for, something for everyone to... To bear in mind, um, go on and take us back to um, the pubs. Is I'm just thinking, is there a, a local brew? Well, Banks's is the local brew. Uh, and when I talked about the uh, parking by, uh, if you come up Chapel Ash by that uh, church, you, you, you're basically parking opposite the brewery. It's got it's Marsons now, but the local brew is Banks's. Ah. So yeah, I mean, and a lot of. A lot of people around here like their ales, and we've got a few ale pubs, one just round by the train station called the Great Western, if everybody likes their ales, and one right by the St Peter's Church, which is in the centre of Wolverhampton, called the Lichgate Tavern, if anybody likes their ales. But the local brew is Banks's. And if you're looking for local delicacies, <laughs> delicacies we, have, we haven't got many. They're called orange chips. Right. Um, and basically battered chips that are orange and that are absolutely to die for. But whether there's many of them chips up around the town centre, I don't know. They're normally on the outskirts. Other than that, if people want something to eat, I wouldn't recommend Wolverhampton for restaurants. Uh, you've got your pub grub. That's what it is, basic pub grub. And if people like Indians, uh, uh, I think it's out from about five o'clock. The back of the Grand Theatre is the best Indian in Wolverhampton, apparently called the Dilshad, if people want to get their food down there. there. But as I say, a local delicacy, orange chips. But... Um, I think after um, after I went to Middlesbrough, um, and I didn't I, try a Parmo. I didn't try a Parmo. I didn't. Oh, well, that's the thing. I, I tried one. I thought I was advised by one, and I, I ticked that one off. Or you told me about orange chips. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna maybe Google that and find some orange chips. Yeah, well, if you go, I've never had it myself, but All right. the local, no, I've had orange chips called galore. Yeah, uh, but grey peas and bacon. It's grey peas. They're boiled, and it's called grey peas and bacon. I've never come across any, but right. <laughs> it, it is the black country delicacy. But uh, I've never had any, and I wouldn't even know how to make it. Google it. 
Ray pays and bacon. Okay. Uh, right, go on then. Take us, take us closer to Molyneux. Um, obviously, if, uh, I don't know if anyone's listening that would have been to the the last time that Molyneux hosted an England game back in, was it 1953, 56, I think. Uh, but for those of that have never been to, to Molyneux, what's, what's around the ground? Not much to do as Asda. <laughs> Asda. The, the, there's uh, the one end, it's the family enclosure end, the Stan Collis end. There's a pub on the corner called the Leaping Wolf. Right. Other than that, I wouldn't get yourself to the ground too early. I'd stay in the town centre. I think we know England Games is more about drinking. And as I said, there's 25 pubs at least within 10 minute walk. Um, but if you all aim for the church, St Peter's, uh, which is opposite uh, our local famous landmark, the Man on the Horse. Go on, tell uh, us about that. Um, the, the Man on the <laughs> it's actually Prince Consort, I think uh, Prince Albert. It right. was um, it, it's a it's a horse monument, and uh, actually nobody calls it by its real name. It's just the Man on the Horse. <laughs> so if ever you get lost or you want a meeting point, it's the Man on the Horse, and it's round by Lloyd's Bank, and it's opposite St Peter's Church, right. and from that point. You walk alongside St Peter's Church and within two or three minutes you're at the uh, the subway, which you're quite safe to walk under now. Right. Okay. Not perhaps back in the day, but <laughs> um, and the subway is the main gateway, as I say, to uh, the Molyneux. As you come out of the subway, there's sometimes a fan zone on the home games. There's a Jack Haywood statue and that's where there's a few burger vans and the souvenirs and scarves. That's how they'll all be. Uh, but other than that, there's not much around the ground. As I say, it's all in the city centre. Uh, it's all basically a, a, a drinking culture. Gotcha. I don't know what to say, fortunately or unfortunately. There. <laughs> well, well, we'll find out afterwards. <laughs> but yeah, you've got you got you got loads. As I say, if you come out the train station, if you walk as soon as you come out, you have got a pub on the corner of the Sunbeam, which does decent pub food. A pub on the right called Prince Albert. Keep walking another 100 yards. You've got the weather spoons that everybody will probably aim for. And then keep walking a bit more. And then you come to a crossroads. Turn right, you've got a couple of pubs, Ogsheads and Royal London, which are five-minute walk from the ground. Turn left and there's a few spit and sawdust pubs, but there's about four within about a two-minute walk of each other. And that area, if you turn left, there's a few pubs, Old Steel, Duke of York, Wheat Chief. That little area there where your kebab shops and your Greggs and your Subways are, yeah. But if you're looking for a restaurant, don't bother. Just eat in the pub or, or grab yourself a McDonald's. Yeah, I'm not well, painting a very nice picture, but <laughs> it, to be honest, for a football experience, that's all you want. And that's, and that's why I'm so pleased it took Molyneux. Yeah, no, it's, it's real. That's that's what it is. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm, there's, there's, there's no out of town, no trying to get a bus and trying to get a 20-minute, a, a, a 30-minute walk to the ground. It's just so localised. Um not a big stadium, um, but I would advise anybody who's in the Steve Ball stand. I've said don't get to the ground early, but for some reason, if you're in the Steve Ball stand, which is the stand as you come under the subway, that is horrendous for getting into. So I would get there early. The other three sides seem to be okay, but for some reason, the Steve Ball is a nightmare. Um, the queues on that home match day. It, it's, I don't know why, whether there's not enough turnstiles for the, the size of the stand, I just don't know. But I would advise anybody going there, get there a little bit earlier. Good to know, good to know. I've got a feeling I'm I'm in, I'm, I'm behind the goal. I'm in with the, the Block 109. Uh, you're in the South Bank, which is the Jack Haywood. Right. So you're, you're in that area as well, if you're in an S1, SL1, or I think it's up to SL5 or S5, 
you're okay. If you're in the SW, which is just in the corner between the Jack Haywood and the Billy Wright, it's not covered. So if it's a wet night, I do think they hand out um, little packer max, you know, oh, yeah. I think so. But it's not covered. I've never been in it. I just look at it from the opposite end and think I'd rather not. <laughs> <laughs> it should be a nice sunny June night, so let's not worry about that. Let's hope so. I, I mean, yeah, no, it's, that's great. I mean, is there anything else that you want to chip in? I, I just think the irony of it is, when what's nice about it is the fact that it's the first game at Molyneux since whatever you said, 60-some-odd years. But the irony is um, Wolves were the pioneers of floodlit football yeah. and the most famous game was the game versus Honved, the Hungarian champions in 1954. Yeah, I think they played... So correct me if I'm wrong. I think Wolves played home bed shortly after Hungary, the the Magyars or the call them had stuffed England. I think it was six three. Yeah. And the Honved team consisted of mainly the Hungarian players, and uh, it was a floodlit game. And it, it's famous. I would like to say more than this in that area. I'd like to say it's famous quite worldwide. I'd imagine um, pioneers of uh, the uh, floodlit football and the route to what is now probably the Champions League. And we won that game 3-2. Uh, and it's just um, irony that the first international that we play is against Hungary. Whether you think it's irony, whether you think it's quirky, or whether you think that was boring, I just thought I'd put it in. <laughs> no, it's I, I agree. It's, it's all those little, little well, and, and And from a personal perspective, my dad was actually at that game in 1954. Was he? Uh, versus Holmbed. And he's 83 now. And he's actually... This game in June. Oh, marvellous! So, oh, great uh, stuff. Um, well, I'm going to I'm going to inform the local papers. As I say, whether it's a story just for me and the family, or whether it's an interesting story, I, I find it quite interesting. All them years later, he's he's gone to both games. Yeah, no, so, love that. Great story, Mark. Thank you very much for your time and an insight yeah, no into Wolverhampton there. And and yeah, let, let, let's say hello. Yeah, yeah, we'll meet up. I'll. Uh, it's going to be strange not having to catch a train down to London. Um, okay. But old habits die hard, so I still think I might go in the Weatherspoons at nine o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> so if anybody's in Wolverhampton from nine o'clock, <laughs> come and say hello. I think it's going to be a long day. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. All right, cheers, Mark. And yeah, we'll, uh, we'll we'll catch up about on the ball at some stage. Oh yeah, there's a story. All right, uh, mate. Okay, Russell, that's great. Thank you to Thomas Mortimer from HungarianFootball.com, Marco Kunawa who gave us the German aspect, Steve Polilo from the Milan Weekly Podcast, and just there to Mark Griffiths from On The Ball Travel. Now here in the United Kingdom, it is our Queen's Platinum Jubilee. So we have a couple of extra days off in the lead up to the Hungary game. So enjoy those. And then... It's Germany away. And actually, speaking of days off, for those going to Munich, you may find that the Monday there is a little bit quiet. Over there on the Monday, it will be a bank holiday. I think they regionalise their bank holidays, but it's I think there's a bank holiday in Munich, Bavaria area. 
Now, I appreciate that this has been a longer than usual episode, but with so many games to squeeze in, I think it warranted it. But thanks for sticking with it. Hopefully, it'll be long enough to listen to whilst in transit to Munich or Wolverhampton or wherever you'll be watching the games. Safe travels to you. Enjoy them. And I'll catch up with you very soon for the review episode. And I might even try and squeeze in the next in our World Cup series. So until then, happy and glorious long to reign over us. Cheers. Cheers.